welcome to episode six of Tusk Talk. Today I have with me my co-host Evan Nyquist, aka Uber Wukarung. Hey. And I'm Andrew, just for those wondering. So we're gonna jump straight into things. Last cast we spoke. Last cast neither of us actually were on the cast, and it was Sean O'Brien, and we had Craig Mitchell, Brian Plattenberg, also of Team Tusk, but. Today we're going to touch on more legacy-oriented topics, and I think we want to start by just kind of assessing the overall metagame at this point. What, what are your thoughts right now? What's good? The last cast was uh, Sean French and Zach. Ah, ah you're yeah. right. <laughs> it was uh, Craig Mitchell, uh, Zach Wilson, and Sean French, and um, Sean O'Brien. So I added Brian Plattenberg, and I subtracted a couple people. But anyways, so I guess we'll just kick it off with, like, what's gone on with um, Legacy since the last time we talked about that. All right, sounds good. Yeah, I mean, looks like lately I've been following tournament results. An SEG Classic in Milwaukee. There was a Milano Ovino Spring Legacy event. Both of these were above 100 people. There was an Eternal Clash also in Europe that was close to 100 people. Uh, so I've been looking at results a lot lately, and it seems that, seem, in my opinion, combo is is back in full force. And when I say combo, I, what I mean is Storm, Combo, and Belcher are running rampant right now. What do, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think Belcher is on the rise. Uh, it's been um, I've been seeing it creeping up around. I've seen that, and then Storm, I think, has had an issue, though, with Eldrazi. That's, I'm not sure why Belcher seems to be clamming, clamoring through a little more, I feel like, than how it has before. Like, it seems like it's benefited more than I think Storm has. I mean, I'm, I'm no cracker of the LED, but... Right. I don't think either of us are. I own one, yeah. But uh, I think that Belcher can very consistently go off turn one. And sometimes Storm needs a, a setup of potentially one turn, two turns, and by that time Eldrazi will cast a sphere effect of some sort, shutting down Storm. So that could be why um, why Belcher is having a little bit better results. But uh, not too happy about Storm being at the top right now. Actually, been playing locally at Titan Games on Tuesdays, and they'll be out of. Maybe ten people. There'll be one to two storm decks up there, and I'm kind of getting fed up with it. So I put together Eldrazi one week and crushed them, crushed them all. Yeah, I just I tend to pack like Sphere of Resistance, I guess, in most of the decks I'm playing right now on uh, Trinisphere. Um, just as kind of like sideboard options. Um, a lot of my decks, I guess either have discard or counter magic as well. So yeah. those are typically my routes of attack. And I'm playing Tesserator a bit, which, you know, runs Chalice right in the main. So Right. It seems like things are swinging pretty drastically. If you're keeping up with deck lists on a daily basis, uh, Storm and Belcher will be on top, and then El- I'll see Eldrazi on the top, and then Miracles will randomly sneak in. You still got some Grixis decks and um, some Sneak and Show was on top for what felt like a couple weeks. And then now it's back to being pretty diverse. So I, I don't really know what's good right now. 
it, or what I would like to play that is I've kind of been up and down with a bunch of different decks, just trying them out and can't seem to find what I want to play at the moment. Yeah, I know there's a SCG IQ uh, last week where three Maverick decks made the top eight. Over oh, wow. There, which is really interesting. Yeah, they had SCG IQ for Legacy and, uh, yeah, three Mavericks in the top eight. Um, and I know their previous one a few months back had uh, Goblins and Merfolk uh, in their top eight as well. So I've been seeing, like, a lot of fair decks kind of sneaking in now lately. Um, it just seems to be kind of like an open field um, for good pilots uh, to play decks of their choices. What have you been? Be able to win. What have you been uh, pretty stoked on? What are you playing at the moment? Um, kind of like looking at different like other decks to kind of like pick up and try. But like the main decks I've been playing right now are Tesserator, Twelve Post, and uh, a Dark Depths base deck. Right, right. Which have all actually been giving me real good results. Um, I'd say the Tesserator probably the weakest. Um, but I think that's the deck I play the least, and it's the deck that I'm the worst at piloting out of the ones I have. So I'd probably attribute that to the cause the most. Yeah, it seems I love the Tesserator deck. I've played it for several months. But uh, right now Chalice is pretty popular. Right. And, we, I mean, specifically with Eldrazi and I guess some Mud, and maybe Tezzeret is a weaker Chalice deck than those two decks? Yeah. I mean, I feel like with Tezzeret, you want to go real in with either Planeswalkers or Aggro. And, I'm, you know, with like, you know, just quad laser bridges, you know? And, yeah. And you're just dropping, like, a lot of artifact lands and, you know, mana accelerants and then going into planeswalkers, you know. Right. Um, otherwise, I'm like the deck that I'm leaning more towards right now is like almost more of like a shops Tesserator build, you know, I'm doing yeah. four lodestones and jits and, um, you know, obviously Tez and Baleful Strix and the kind of like original package and sideboard of the Helm engine. Um, With Leyline? Playline, yeah, to uh, switch it up. And we're doing, we're doing two Helms. I thought about one, but I thought two is just a little better for backup. Um, I'm going back and forth, so I have two Guardian Beasts in my sideboard. I love um, Guardian Beast. Oh, yeah. So, so the Beast protecting everything. You know, Beast protects Bridge. And I think in those Planeswalker, those Planeswalker builds, I think Beast actually probably would shine even better in that, you know. So, in in my opinion, uh, I've always thought of a Tezzeret deck as a, as more of a control deck, and I don't see anything wrong with going leaning more towards the aggro. But uh, when you're throwing in four main deck lodestones, are you ditching any ensnaring bridges in the main deck? Uh, I'm actually keeping three. I'm mean, sorry, I'm keeping two in my main deck, um, and that's really just because you know I can hold them as a control. Uh, variant, and then I also have the option of just being able to defend myself against decks that are a lot more aggro than mine because it's just real easy to move over to the Planeswalker engine, you know, or Sword of the Meek, you know, you know, Doctor Sword combo. Um, yeah. The deck's real versatile, so I just like having a lot of different tools 
it's kind of the same reasons why I'm attracted to like a lot of the 12 post builds because just kind of has this like Swiss Army knife interaction where you just you get a lot of different lines of play as options to take and you know I find Tezzer to kind of be one of those and um, the bridges are important right now um, I just think there's a lot of aggressive creatures right now in the meta you know you got like Mentor you have the Eldrazi decks um, you also have uh, show and tell or the sneak and sneak and show whatever deck it's been popping up a lot more in our meta. There's a lot of, you know, decks that I just like to be prepared for to have just the bridge with me, you know. Um, but there's just a lot of times where I'll just go into the play where, you know, it's just there's lodestone and there's there's Strix and there's equipment, you know, and there's some hate. And I'm just that's that's my line now, you know. And then when I come across the bridge, I just pull it back as kind of a control element, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, I can just, like, drain them out for, you know, a small amount with Tez or, you know, just throw the bridge up and just lock the game down and throw down Tez. Yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying. And with, especially with Tezzeret, there's not really one streamlined build of that deck, especially since it's not really played that much at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but I would, <clears throat> if I were building it, I'd probably lean more towards either main deck lodestones and cut back on bridges and move those to the board or just go with more traditional with just pushing all the lodestones to the board and playing a more control role. But, you know, it's, I guess it just all depends on what you're going after, but yeah. I, I, I didn't, I wouldn't want to have like a potentially uh non bow right. yeah, in my main deck, you know? Yeah, there's definitely that. Um, I've just had a lot of success with it personally. I mean, you can, I mean, you can even just throw it down and then cast transmute artifact on it. You know, yeah, that's a good point. Just like you know, you can get rid of it that way. You can you can sacrifice it to Thopter combo. Just like hold them back for a second and at the end of their turn, kill your bridge. Yeah, you know, make a bunch of Thopters or something and then swing right. for kill. There's so Lodestone has been putting in work in the main deck. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm. I'm I'm trying to get them out real quick and uh, just kind of lock them down. I'm also playing two wastelands in my deck. Um, okay. So there's, and I just play just a little more of an aggressive way with it. You know, that's a little more of the tactic, I guess. But the, like I said, the deck just offers different routes, so it's just not always that. But it's uh, the I could definitely see myself taking the snaring bridges out of the main if I was. Think just in a different meta right now, but there's yeah. just a lot of creature-based decks. You know, like if it's elves, I'm not gonna try to. If I can't lock them out with lodestone right away, then you know I'm. I want the bridge immediately. Yeah. You know, and it's probably gonna get smashed. So I'm glad there's two in there. You know, and even there, it's like, you know, I'm just hoping for hate in that game. Then there's gonna be decks where. You know, I just want to smash them with lodestone immediately, you know, before they can go off. Yeah. Yeah, I think Bridge is a very relevant card at the moment. Yeah, I, I think that's really what it just boils down to in my, for me, considering it in the main board. But, you know, like I said, it's more of a meta call. I, I, it's not something I'd, like, highly recommend everyone to be doing. But, you know, it's saved my tail a couple times. Yeah, yeah. So you had mentioned that... <clears throat> Another one of your decks that you're enjoying at the moment is 12 posts, and 
I've kind of recently got into 12 post. Um, what kind of build are you playing with that? And where do you think that deck sits at the moment in regards to the current state of the metagame? Well, you know, I think I just kind of like bad decks. Uh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> but, um, no, in all seriousness, I think the deck is, is real powerful, and I think it has more than enough potential to place well. Um, it's one of those decks that I think suffers more than anything from not having a lot of competent pilots, you know, and enough tournaments, you know, and kind of the sequence of the both of them coming together and that pilot doing well, like decks like Alluring. Um, yeah. You know, like, you know, you've been playing Painter quite a bit lately, and that's another deck, you know, that there's just not a lot of pilots that really are skilled with the deck to kind of prove the deck, and, you know, because of card availability. And, you know, it's just kind of a, it's, it's a deck that you have to have interest in to pick up, more or less. And, you know, in 12 posts, you know, especially like, you know, the, the green colorless build, you know, which is playing three to four candelabras, you know, that's, that takes like a particular interest, you know, to pick that up, you know, invest in that deck and learn the deck. Yeah. Um, Blue green is kind of similar, you know. You just don't hear about the deck a ton, you know. It's not, it's not like, uh, it's definitely nowhere up there with like the kings of internet decks and whatnot. It's just uh, kind of considered tier two or tier three and laughed at by quite a few. But uh, Jeremiah Rudolph done some really good work with uh, twelve posts, like the blue green kind of school, and then uh, John Kasari who does the green white. Kind of base builds typically, I think, and then um, Booze Cube does like the green colorless builds. So they all have different routes to play, which is another interesting thing about the deck. Um, that there's these kind of different schools, and then each of the schools kind of divide into these kind of like again Swiss Army knives, you know, different tactics to the deck. So, but uh, I've been playing the blue green build lately. Um, and then kind of like figuring out the mono green build, like I'm just really trying to iron out how I want to approach it. There's some cards that are really interesting that, you know, you just have to test because I think 12 post is definitely one of those decks when you manipulate one or two or three of the cards, it really impacts how the deck is built. You know? Oh, certainly. I mean, it, it, you, go ahead. You mentioned that guy, John Kasari. Um, and I, that's basically the, deck that I put together was his build from Grand Prix Seattle Tacoma 2015. He went undefeated day one in a sea of over 2,000 people and it's pretty much mono green, no candelabras but I've changed a few things by adding warping whales and I just removed like the singleton moments piece. I removed the all is dust. Um, I removed some relic of progenitus but um, I've, I've definitely noticed how much changing just a couple of cards around in this deck can impact how it plays. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty frustrating, honestly, playing this deck yes. right now. Um, I'm thinking about shelving it, but I might give it a little bit more time. But uh, I just, I, my main frustration is just, is getting land screwed, basically. Yeah. 
trying to get my land engine going and then everyone just shuts me down and lays a small thread on the board and that's basically how I lose with this deck. My approach with the deck recently has been I was try, I was playing out like a green black bill with like with like veteran explorer and discard so I want to see my opponent's hand and kind of strip threats away and be able to build my lines better. Um and just kind of, you know, have veterans moving in an engine to get um, my prime time out. So and then I went back to green blue recently and like I kind of changed up some things like the recent build that I'm doing. I've been testing uh, some different cards and I've been questioning like like Sylvan scrying actually has been pretty solid just like on a turn two or whatnot just it, I feel like it, it, it. I question if sometimes it's just better than exploration map for the deck, um, yeah. as far as just moving along faster and not, you know, throwing out a piece that someone's going to decay or whatnot. Um, so I've been testing that and not, and I've really liked it. Um, it's it's done good use for me because I'm not playing um, trinket mage in the deck, so it's it's not as useful to me, and I like that. I'm kind of switching out having to play Trinket Mage for less needed one drops. Um, so I'm also not playing Candelabra in this build. I'm using Ancient Stirrings as, all, as well in this deck, which is typically only used in the colorless and green builds. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm using just a couple of those. They're just really good with top, just to reset your top engine. Um, you know, you take a look at stuff and... You know, if you have two tops out, you can flip one into it. Um, otherwise, you can, you know, you look at the top five, you throw them on the bottom, and you get to look at another three again. So you're getting a lot of, like, a lot of views on cards. So I found Ancient Stern's great, and then also just to pick up lands quick. Yeah. Um, so I found that to be real helpful. Um, Cyclonic Rift has been really great with uh, Overload. Um, yeah, just cards kinda, nuts. Yeah, taking over the board. Um, I don't know. My experience is that you you have to have big mana, and if you can't develop big mana, you just can't win with this deck. Well, here's my new twist: is that I'm I'm going a little. There's just, there's a couple more cards that I'm using that I think have been real helpful. Um, put standstill in actually. Hmm. I, I have only one in right now, but I was on the verge of testing two. Um, and the one I got off recently was just crazy, you know, because you, you really just don't need to play a spell, you know. Like, if we're just going to sit here and just drop lands, that's fine, you know. Like, fuck it, you know. Cloud post, go. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is great for like, like for a post deck. It's, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, you're just, and then once they crack it, you know, you're ready to go, you know. I like um, it. And then if you if you need to crack it, then that's probably fine because you're going to be doing something probably pretty big, you know. Um, so they can just go ahead and have three cards because um, you've basically built your engine, and now that they have three cards, it's irrelevant. Um, the do, you other think, do you think show and tell is a must uh, must play in the blue green build? Now in my list, I am utilizing show and tells. I have. I have two Platinum Imperiums. I have uh, a Worm Coil Engine. You know, I have um, uh, the Titans. Uh, I have Emrakul, and then 
Ulamog, which I think is one of the best additions to the deck. Um, but I'm using the show and tells, yes. Um, but like, as, as usual, they're more like kind of a bait card. Um, but the new tech that I'm, I've put added to the deck actually, especially with like Blood Moons being rel more relevant, I feel like as of late, um, is uh, Quicksilver Amulet. Yeah. Um, and so with that actually just playing against uh, Burn the other night, um, I just got that down. And then, you know, when they, when they try to do something, I just shot out Platinum Imperium, like with Flash, you know, and it's just because you get to burn out your opponent's spells. Then also they can't use counter magic against you. And you can also get through Blood Moons. So there's a lot of benefits to just getting that out. Um, you know, flashing in Primeval Titan is huge. You know, to get like Bog, you know, um, game life. It's just there's a lot of like tricks I feel like you can use with that card actually, and everything that you need to flash in is worthwhile. Uh, so I think that's a good addition. So I went three and one with it last week. Um, Warping Whale I think is a great card. I mean just. Once you dig into it, there's just so much you can do. It just kind of grows on you more and more. You start to collect the library of all the cards it hits. Yeah. I found some pretty interesting lines when playing this deck. Um, well, this is not so so interesting, but I did play against Dredge, and he starts to try and go off, and I just crop rotate and grab a Bajuka Bog and shut him down, and then grab a, later on grab a Vesuva and copy Bajuka Bog and slow him down, but also can take that line against Storm, and they're not really expecting it because a lot of uh, <clears throat> Storm players need Threshold, or they need their, not necessarily Threshold, but they need to cast Passing Flames and play cards out of their graveyard. And you can sneak a little crop rotate into a bog, then you can actually have game against Storm. Yeah. Yeah. I think Thought Knot Seer is a good uh, addition as well. So you're playing Thought Knots at the moment? I'm not, but I think it's... Uh, I think like a good route for the deck is something with like a colorless build that's going like like I was talking about with Tesserator, just taking the Eldrazi, like young Eldrazi, like the Eldrazi Stompy deck, and just going in with more of like a post build with some of the more medium to large guys at this point in the meta. Yeah. Um just like a lot of hate stuff. Is that's that's more so what you're fighting against, you know, because something with like these blue green builds, I feel like you're you're just running into a lot of trouble right now. Um, like show and tell, I feel like is a must for the blue green build at this yeah. point. Otherwise, you just you're gonna get wiped out. Like you like in this meta versus how it was a while ago, it's like you're you're really trying to you know, like get primeval titan out immediately, you know, yeah. and like he's a just, beast. Yeah, you gotta get your engine going, you know. Well, no, technically he's he's not a beast, though. So he's, no, he's a giant. He's a giant. Cavern. Yeah. Cavern giant. Yeah, pretty backbreaking. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. If you can pull off a crop rotation, and you know they don't know what you're really doing, just get cavern and pull out Titan, and there's always a good look on your opponent's face. So, are you playing Ugin, the Spirit Dragon? No, I. I think Ugin is really powerful. Um, the problem is in like the build that I have currently, you know, with like all the, the cheat ways of putting creatures out, um, Ugin can just kind of sit still. Um, 
but there's just there's no real way to tutor for him, so he just becomes like a real lousy top deck. So I have one on the sideboard um, for the right occasions, but I'm not sold on him in the main. Like he's not that effective against like like if I'm going to the big tournament, I have to be aware of the Eldrazi Stompy deck, you know. And, yeah. And Ugin is not going to do much for you against that, you know. Unless and, you're playing Painter Servant. That is awesome. Yeah, that's great. And it's some circle of protection. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Ugin is, he'll win you the game. You know, it's just, it's one of those cards where like, it's just something, it's a preference. It's, you know, it's kind of a gamble and, you know, it's a beautiful board wipe that can go to, you know, disintegrating your opponent. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, Jace. he's definitely pulled work when I've played the deck but you have to build your deck a certain way if you're going to play Ugin, I feel. You know, you, you have to be a little bit less permanent-based. I mean, less colored permanent-based, like no no Sylvan libraries and cards like that, and lean more towards spells and artifacts with, you know, yeah. big creatures. So, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about Ugin in the deck. Maybe if I give it another whirl, I'll switch the build and see if I can enjoy a different strategy. Yeah, so I mean, like, my my next move with this is now that I've kind of tested the amulet, is I want to do, like, the mono green build and use the amulets in there because that kind of gives it that missing element that I feel like the blue-green had with the show-and-tell backup. So and amulet's a pretty sweet card, but this deck builds a big enough mana to be able to hard cast your Eldrazi and you get the actual cast triggers off of those cards. Are those not that important to you to where you're just fine with sneaking them into play? Well, with the build that I'd be doing, I'd have Titans in it, and Sneaking Titan is still under the Battlefield trigger. Right, okay, gotcha. But and, then, just, and also, Platinum Imperium, you, you know, your life doesn't change as you respond, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and then also Worm Coil Engine, you flash in and block and get lifelink trigger and, you know, or do just combat swinging for the kill on the right opponent. I see you. I see you. Um, So there's like a lot of different ways of kind of using it. And also the other thing is he just gets around blood moon. And then, I mean, I've piloted post quite a bit and there's a lot of times like, for instance, I might have a ton of mana, right. And, but I could have, you know, uh, 13 mana, available. And that's a good amount, but I don't have a creature in my hand. But then I have Eye of Ugin. Like, I can use my Eye of Ugin and get Worm Coil Engine and cast it, you know, that turn. And that's a big deal. And having 13 mana, it's like, oh, yeah, well, you, you know, there's just there's situations where the deck, like, just needs more tools. And it's, like, there's situations where you might only have, like, five to six mana available. And for whatever reason, whether it be a moon or you have, like, three forests, you know, and, like, a glimmer post and, like, a Caracas out or something, you know, just because you got screwed this time. And then yeah. you just Quicksilver Amulet, and that's going to really change the game for you, you know. Like, it'll let you hang in there more. So I think it's I think it's a good plus, at least as a sideboard card, you know. I don't Yeah. Like, the whole thing that Post is doing is it's like a seed that gets planted, and then it grows into this, you know, giant thing. And then you're just sitting there trying to protect the seed, you know? Maybe, I'm just, maybe I'm just playing it wrong. If you're really playing, like, you just, you know, like, needle, wasteland, go. Just, 
you know, right off the rip, you know. So what do you think the proper amount like of tops your, and piling needles is in the main deck? Well, I think personally, I mean, I know there's people online that play with like two, which I've seen, and I've been like, I thought that was really strange. Two of which card? Which card? Of uh, needle. Okay. And uh, I personally, I think you have to play with at least three, and if you have three, then one's in your sideboard. Like, like a fourth is in your sideboard. Yeah. Um, I recommend four if you understand, you know, if you're if you're good with the card, just because it's it's not really a dead card if they don't have wasteland. I mean, it's a great card still. Um, and it's kind of part of how 12 Coast wants to be playing, you know, which is, you know, any of those bits of disruption you can use to stay alive, that's huge for the deck, you know? Yeah. Um, and when you utilize Needle correctly, it can definitely save you a turn or two, you know, and that's and that's kind of what makes Cloud Post win or, you know, 12 Post win. Yeah, Needle can, you know, be used to shut down, like, a you know, a Food Chain or a Lion's Eye Diamond. No, that's actually happened to me in the local tournaments. Both of those interactions. Yeah, it's. I've uh, I've actually psyched out a dude in like Charlotte, and he had like. I was playing what was it? Um, sneak and show, and I already had a needle down on um, sneak attack, and then I threw down another needle, and I just named Lotus Petal, and he had two out, and he was just like, "Oh man." And then he just proceeded, and I won. And just didn't read your card. Right. I mean, I think a lot of it is just playing it out right. You know, like, as, yeah. you know, if I would have been, like, goofy and smiled about it, like, uh uh-huh, you know. Yeah. But it's just it's kind of part of the game, you know. It's, like, kind of scummy, but it's kind of fucking scummy. You're playing fucking show-and-tell sneak attack, you know. And yeah, there's a dude that's at, that's been coming to the local on Tuesday – that asks what the card does, no matter what. If you if you're unfamiliar with it, he'll ask you, "Oh, what is, what does that do?" And I just turn it his way, just like, "Please read the card. I don't want to explain it to you." Like, I don't know. I don't understand why certain people just refuse to read the card. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, a lot of work reading the card of the of the game that's sitting right in front of you. Yeah, but I mean, anywho, yeah, twelve posts is just, I guess, another pet project. So, um, I think I think you get real good with it, you know, if you just stick on it. It's just it's frustrating to play, and I think it takes a lot of time to really like get the hang of it. But it's definitely yeah. like one of those decks where you're just like hanging on the edge for a good portion of all of your games. Yeah, not all of them, but a good amount, you know. Or, but it's a lot of fun, you know, to be down to like one or two life and it seems like you have nothing going on and then the whole table just flips over with, you know, giant fucking aliens and then, you know, you win. <clears throat> yeah, I just, I don't know if that really suits my play style, just barely hanging on anymore. Yeah. I've kind of, for the last year or two, just been playing like a more mid-range combo control style of decks. Yeah. Candelabras are real sick. Um, yeah. So... I'm gravitating towards the green builds because I also just love candelabras and I don't know how efficient they are in the blue-green builds anymore. Yeah, I'd consider picking some up, but I just don't know how much play I'd really get out of them. Yeah. You've been playing... Um, well, you are playing that Dark Depths deck, a similar build for a while, too. You? Yeah, I've been all over the place, man. I've, I've played in the last couple of months. 
I've played Dark Depths. I've played 12 Post. I picked up some Beta Berserks, and I started playing Infect. Uh, I played Eldrazi. <clears throat> this past Tuesday, I played Bug Delver and got shut down by Blood Moon. So I'm really all over the place. Can't figure out what I want to play. Uh, I was playing Painter for a while. Probably had the uh, <clears throat> had the hottest streak I've had since I've been playing Legacy with that deck. And I just kind of got bored of casting Blood Moon, so I've been trying to figure out what it is I like to play. I love Blood Moon. Yeah, I do too, but, like, I don't know. I, I was playing it uh, with that deck. I think I've top 16, two Star Cities, and most of the tournaments we were traveling to, I was top eighting or top fouring, or I got second in one of these tournaments. And the Gigabytes Quarterly, I got top eight with it, but I just – it kind of feels a little derpy sometimes when you just play one card and it wins the game. Like a lot of my games were just playing blood moon and winning the game, yeah. which feels a little bit like casting show and tell and winning the game sometimes. Yeah. That's why I hate playing the green blue build. Sometimes it's just show and tell just when it's, you know, on a derp on a derpy mode, but yeah. It's kind of rare, you know, like really you just want to be show and telling in prime time in that deck, but I definitely don't enjoy show and tell as a card that much, but yeah, it's a necessary yeah. evil for that deck, and I feel like it's maybe the most fair deck for show and tell, um, but that's a stretch even. Yeah, I've been I've been itching to play some blue cards again, so that explains the deck choices I've made recently, and right now I've sleeved up like a Blade Esper Blade kind of deck, like Emon Blade. Nice. Yeah, and I might play that on Tuesday or Thursday if I end up getting to play this week. <clears throat> but uh, I don't know. Tired of losing the combo, so I want to have answers to that. <clears throat> but I also, I, I love, I just love mid range decks. So we'll see if I enjoy that, and maybe I'll switch next week to something else. Yeah, maybe you play Emon Blade, and I'll play Rosen Blade. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I look. I look at like a, a deck like Esper Stoneblade, and I just don't see how it beats a true control deck. Like when I first got into Legacy, I played a Bant Stoneblade deck, pretty much just the uh, you know uh, a mid-range deck at its core, and it can't beat a true aggro deck, and it can't beat a true control deck. So I, I kind of feel the same about an Esper Stoneblade deck where it just sits right in the middle, and how does it beat, like, a true, like, Blue-White Miracles hard control deck, or how does it beat a deck like Goblins or something? I, I just don't know. With Esper Stoneblade, as far as, I mean, it, don't you want to, like, move more towards, like, a discard package with, you know, strong counter magic? Yeah. Just it just pump it up more, and then maybe a Thought Knot Seer, maybe one. <laughs> you're loving Thought Knot right now, huh? Dude, he's so good. Yeah. I mean, like, if you're not a believer, you will be. No, I agree. It's really good. When I played it in Eldrazi, that card was nuts. I had yeah. three out uh, on the board at one point. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about Eldrazi for a second, <clears throat> since it's a pretty big topic of discussion. So I played it <clears throat> one time. I played it at a weekly. I 4-0'd with it. However, it wasn't very satisfying to me. Uh, when I'm playing Legacy, <clears throat> I like to look at a bunch of old cards, and basically all the old cards in the deck is the mana base. So, I don't know. It didn't really didn't really do it for me, but I might pick it up again just because 
it's a pretty good deck, and it's not Miracles, and it's not Storm. So, what do you think? What do you think the direction of Eldrazi is looking like? You could play it with uh, Caverns and Nether Voids. So a black Eldrazi deck, huh? So then you could have uh, some old cards as well. Yeah. And uh, really shut down some combo decks, possibly. But, um, yeah, there's not a lot of old cards in that build, I, I guess, um, as far as a lot of the stock builds are concerned. Um, yeah. For the Internet Slave Children. Um, I'm going to dig up a deck list, but I saw one that I really liked. It was playing Painlands, and it had main deck Containment Priest. I thought that was pretty cool. That's sick, yeah. Yeah. I, like I think Containment Priest is really good right now. Yeah, I mean, because that deck can basically crush most of the top decks, but it loses pretty hard to Sneak and Show, so Containment Priest seems pr- pretty good. I think, like, the Helm and the, uh, the Leyline combo is pretty decent. I've seen, yeah. I've seen people lean towards that. I think they're doing that in, like, Japan, read briefly somewhere. Um, I mean, the, overall, the deck is, uh, it's a good, like, it's a good alternative to, like, burn... You know, like it's like, and it's a really strong stompy deck that I feel like has a necessary place in Legacy, and it's gonna be more more so in the spotlight than decks like Mud. Just a lot of stompy builds in general, Angel Stompy, etc. Soldier, because it's just a lot more linear to play. You know, outside of even the price the price difference, is that people can pick that deck up and just go with it. You know, where I feel like some of those other kind of stompy decks. Are, uh, take a little more precision to play. Um, and Check course, it out. I just I just sent you the link to this deck. <clears throat> it plays third out of 21 people, and it has two Caracas, one Urborg, Tomb of Yogmoth, three Brushland, and it's playing. It's playing. So it's using the Oblivion Sellers. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. To go with the Loyal. Yeah, it's solid list. It's playing Eldrazi Displacer, which is a card I haven't seen too much of in Legacy Eldrazi lists. Yeah, that one's solid. Yeah, maybe this. I'm not seeing Containment Priest so in this list, so I'll have to keep digging. But I don't know. I feel like the deck has a lot of potential. It's not going anywhere, and I still don't think that we've uh, we've recognized like a streamlined build of Eldrazi yet. There's still a lot of, a lot of room for building with this. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like a colorless deck, and you can just splash pretty much anything into it, you know? So it's, yeah. it's got a lot of versatility as far as, you know, oh, just throw in this one color, and now I have, you know, a little bit of counter magic, or now I have, you know, some discard. You know, it's there's a lot of ways that this is going to be able to go, but it's got a good place. I feel like it's disrupting things in a good way that, you know, Legacy's kind of breaking up a little more. Um like miracles has to play a little differently. I welcome it. I'm not good. I'm not interested in playing it. I mean, I played it like the week Eldrazi came out, like before this thing was noted as a deck. You know? Yeah. I think like got released on set got released on Thursday, and then we had that SCG event on Friday. And then we had that the deck that had been brewing, you know, in the Tusk group, and pretty actually pretty similar. It was just missing the mimics, which was just me not ever even seeing that card because I was just kind of flipping through the cards so fast. But Mimic is huge, man. You just drop it either for free or, or turn one with a, some sort of soul in, and then next turn, he's generally swinging for four or five. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah. 
there's just a lot of really good options, you know, for the deck. Yeah, I just sent you another list, and I found it. It placed fourth out of out of 22, Belgian Legacy Cup trial, and it has a Brushland, two Caracas, and some caverns and whatnot, but uh, it's playing two main deck containment priest. And then it's also running the Eldrazi Displacer. I don't I don't know how I feel about that Displacer. What, where do you think that that card really shines? Um, I mean, I think they're using it more like defensively on the in this one, correct? I suppose. I mean, either you're using it that way or you're using it to recur your Thought Knot. Thought Knot's here, right. Yeah. I mean, outside of... Or you could, I guess, flash or revoker. Revoker, yeah, revoker. Change the cards. Yeah. So yeah, I guess revoker and thought not are. I mean, yeah, revoker is good. I didn't think about that one, but then obviously, perfect line. Um, Man, I love containment priest. Yeah, I don't know. The deck's kind of boring to me in a lot of ways, but like, I think it's good. Like, it's like just one of those decks where it's like I feel that kind. You know, I feel that way today. Like, I want to play this deck. You know, yeah, like yeah. that's like where it fits in legacy for me and for me to be prepared to fight it. But outside of that, you know, it's it's a good like I I respect it. It's strong, you know, it's it's fast, it plays chalice. I like chalice. I just see it as another kind of budget deck that's good for legacy for people to kind of jump into and it's good there's like a fast aggro deck. It's just a little more to the ground and less combo heavy like elves and infect, you know? It's a little more traditional. Yeah. And I think there's room for some of the older tempo decks to have game against Eldrazi still. Didn't Eldrazi take down Bizarre Moxon this weekend? Yes, and it's also like I guess one other note that we haven't mentioned is that I think it's like the first deck it went into the decks to beat on MTG the source, you know, that kind of like I guess gathers all the data, you know, to present the decks that are doing the best. That deck jumped to the top five decks nearly immediately. I don't think there's been a deck that's jumped high that's so high that fast. So yeah, it's something to be aware of that it's already pushing such heavy results immediately. Yeah, I'm glad it's here. Did you want to touch on mm-hmm. Bazaar of Moxen results? Yeah, there's some interesting decks. Um, I guess one of the more the Elf Ball Lands deck. That deck looks like a pile, but somehow he top eighted it. How many cards are in this guy's deck? Uh, seventy-eight. Yeah, that sounds just about right. In the main deck, so he's yeah. playing Commander. <laughs> I mean, whatever. No, it looks. I mean, it looks interesting. I mean, it's he could be onto something. I mean, I I salute anyone that's you know trying new things. Yeah, trying new things and pushing like a like somewhat kind of new strategy. You know. Yeah, he Um, did. He did shout out Titania, protector of Argoth. I know that card has a very special place in your heart. Yeah, yeah, I saw that on the list. He's got a lot going on here. You know, he's got Mm -hmm. uh, Titania. He's got Knight. He's got, uh, obviously, Craterhoof. Um, he's got Rurik. He's got a lot of the typical kind of uh, the Elves engine. I just don't see why it has to be 78 cards. Yeah. Elder Scale Worm, Real Force. He's got Teague. Uh, yeah. This is, uh, he has a lot of tools here to play with. So, yeah. I, I can't really comment too much on this deck. Um can't see it moving along, but it just seems like kind of an overstuffed Elves deck right now. Yeah, it looks like he just basically slammed in a lot of his sideboard into the main deck. Right, so it looks like maybe there's some sort of 
meta call here. I don't know, but even that seems like a stretch. It's pretty funny, I got to say. It's pretty funny. If I sat down across from my opponent who had 78 cards and he crushed me, I couldn't help but laugh about it. Yeah. I want to play Battle of Wits. Yeah. Didn't uh, didn't Greg, Greg – yeah, Greg, Greg played Mitchell, Battle yeah. of Wits recently. Yeah, he was uh, – he was up a game, and he was just about to beat his opponents, uh, and they went into time. It's like next turn, Greg had it, and I was, like, going crazy in the chat. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally get it. I see it. I see how it's funny and everything, but I'm not trying to shuffle that many cards and or buy a new deck box for that pile. Oh, I definitely would. Yeah, all right. I mean, I'd probably wear a costume, too, or, like, go in disguise. Yeah, you, guys, you know, like yeah, for sure. Or send somebody else in, but it's just kind of one of those cuckoo funny decks, and I don't know. I just have interest in those. Obviously, we mentioned before that we like to play bad decks, but yeah, play good decks too, of course. I think Red White Painter is a really good deck. You're crushing with that. I think that's really well placed. Yeah, um, certainly. I mean, it has in Staring Bridge. It has Painter Servant. Uh, those are you know those are two really good cards at the moment. Let's see what else. What else am I missing that's pretty relevant at the moment? I don't know. I just got bored with it. As I said, I played it week in and week out, and I just flat out got bored. But it has it has really good game against Eldrazi. I think it's one of the best decks against Eldrazi at the moment. Oh yeah, I think that deck and uh, the uh, big red deck. I think just like just fucking rip that deck apart. Yeah. I, be- I mean, I, be- I think. Uh, Let's see, what was it? Philly. Star City Philly when we were all up there, or a couple of us went up there. I played Painter, and I was playing a Tudor package at the po- at that moment, and I was playing a an, uh, Engineered Explosives, and I get paired against one of those dudes from Atomic Empire in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And he was on Big Red, and I recognized him, and I kind of suspected what he was on. <clears throat> and he plays a Chalice on one, and he plays a... Uh, Chrome Mox, and uh, he played a Blood Moon in that game, and I explosives for zero destroyed his whole board. Yeah, he was pretty upset about it, but what can you do? You know, I just I had my uh, explosives both games, and that that card won me the game. So a lot of times, painter decks will have just a couple of, for lack of better words, flex slots, and I think Explosives right now is a pretty good call for all the Chalice decks running around. Chalice is a pain in the ass against that deck. Yeah, and Tokens. Yeah. Mentor yeah. is on the loose. I feel yeah. like like a lot more Miracles builds are leaning on Mentor now. Certainly. So, I mean, I feel like you just have to be prepared. I feel like the Mentor is just even more dangerous than Entreat, you know, at this yeah. point. But there's a, there's a lot of play to a painter deck. People, you know, on the servers, it might just look like, yes, you cast Blood Moon, and sometimes you do win the game, but you have to know when to cast Blood Moon, and sometimes by you casting your Blood Moon, it can lock you out of certain plays, like Explosives for Zero, or uh, playing your Enlightened Tutor in your hand, if you're playing White, that is. So, I don't know. I would highly suggest anybody listening to the cast thinking about putting the deck together to put the deck together. It's a lot of fun. I say, I say it's a, it's a blast. Now, now another, uh, one of the bizarre Moxon decks had, uh, back to basics in their main board, two of them. 
Uh, I watched it put in some work against the Eldrazi decks. What do you think about that? Like, so he's had no red in the deck. And he's avoiding Blood Moon. I love back to basics. So do I. I was actually playing um, Thought Lash Maniac against Sean Friday Night Magic. We just decided to go up one night, one Friday night. And, uh, what is Thought Lash Maniac? He had well, Thought Lash. I was, I was playing against him, and he had Nick Fit with uh, Hornet Queen in it and a whole lot of other goodies. But anywho, Thought Lash Maniac is basically utilizing that combo itself. And then I was doing the kind of a soul land base to it. Um, and then like chalice and a lot of counter magic and then just four back to basics in the main board. Yeah, that card is so and awesome. Then, and then I actually was playing Ether Vile in the deck. <laughs> so I could get out Lab Maniac. Um, you know, so he wasn't getting countered and just use it and just win, you know, because with Thought Lash, you know, I'm basically getting rid of my deck, and then when it comes to me drawing, I flash out Lab Maniac, and then I win the game because I have no cards to draw, and I have Lab Maniac out in play. Right, right. So it's uh, a really bad deck. Um, but yeah, it sounds like it. it. It costs, like, it's just one of those decks where it costs, like, like I don't know, like $8.00. To buy? No, Lab Man it, itself is at least five at this point. Lab Mate the dude? Yeah. No way. Yes, it shot up. Oh, well, I got him for like 60 cents or something. Like just, I don't know, 40, 30 cents pocket change, but it was a while. Yeah. Like, I was like interested in the deck a while ago just because Thought Lash was just, the art is so sick. But uh, yeah, I've been sitting with those cards in my box. I decided just to build it. So it was just. Getting a little tired of the deck, so I was playing. Like I've been playing a lot of that depth deck, and that's been, um, you know, it's been fun. It's been doing really good results, but I just kind of want to flip out some other stuff too. So. Well, I lied about Lab Man. It's like around three dollars, but still okay. more more than what you purchased it for. Yeah. Tesserator deck shot through the roof with that modern shit that happened. Yeah. Like all those cards went up. Fuck modern. Yeah. Fuck modern. Um, While we're still on Bizarre Moxon, let's kind of run through the top eight since it's, you know, it happened yesterday and it's pretty relevant. So it looks like Eldrazi took it down and then I'm looking at the bracket and I think he fought against Belcher. So it was Eldrazi versus Belcher. I just, it still kind of blows my mind that a Belcher deck and a sea of, I think this was a 300 person tournament can make it this far. Yeah. I mean, it's I I'm a little confused myself. I think what it is. Okay, so you only see one miracles deck in the top eight, and he's playing back to basics. So <clears throat> Eldrazi's so big right now, it's just crushing miracles. And a lot of miracles players who've for the longest time said that miracles is the best deck are right. refusing to adapt, and as a result, are just getting crushed by Eldrazi. And that's allowing decks like Belcher and Storm to sneak through to the top. Right. So I think so, that's why you see this Miracles deck that has back to basics in his main deck. That's probably why he has, has made it to the top eight because he has, also has a moat. Yeah. Oh, we're in the main deck or in the sideboard? Sideboard. Okay. Yeah. He also has a moat. So it's basically adapt or die when it comes to that Miracles deck. I agree. If you're playing Miracles and you're not ready for the Eldrazi deck, you are doing it wrong. Yeah, going to a large tournament. I don't know how it is, you know, playing at your local, but I I think you're right, and I definitely agree with that. You know, having this basically backup plan 
for this deck. Peacekeeper also. I uh, love Peacekeeper. Um, so also in the top eight, we have a bug thing in the ice deck with four main deck thing in the ice. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Sweet. I think Thing in the Ice is one of the cooler cards that came out. I don't think we ever got a chance to talk about it, but uh, it's one of those cards that, you know, I think has some sort of place. Like, actually, the most interesting place that I feel like I saw it was uh, playing against one of the locals, Mike On. He played Thing in the Ice in his Storm deck uh, as a sideboard card. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if Storm's adapted to that or if that's even something that they're interested in, but it's pretty effective against me um, as a backup plan, you know, when sort of sideboard for the right deck. So, I mean, it seems fine in this deck. I mean, I I watched him play with it, and I feel like a couple times I saw him have anything to do with the card. He flipped it once and pitched it to force, I think, twice, but I didn't watch all of the matches straight through, but... um, the time that he flipped it, it was very helpful. Um, yeah, the deck. Pretty much the game. The and it deck, pitches to force, which is relevant. You know? Yeah, it looks like at its core, uh, what used to be uh, somewhere in between a bug delver and a shardless deck, but it doesn't have delver and it doesn't have shardless agent. It just has, it's like bug good stuff with Gataxian probe. So uh, it looks like the game plan is just trying to kind of grind out and you know, it has decays and force of wills and spell pierces sure. and just bounce everything with thing in the ice and try and swing in for seven. Yeah, I mean it seems like it can it can uh cannibalize in the mirror against another bug deck and I feel like it has probably better game against most Delver builds. Yeah. So yeah, again, I, this might be a you know translation of people reading the meta correctly. It almost feels like a combo deck at its core because it's playing Cards like Probe and Cabal Therapy and <clears throat> not a lot of creatures, you know, so you're not really getting much use out of that flashback unless you're going to sack like a Baleful Strix or a Snapcaster Mage. So it just kind of stalls out for a while until you <clears throat> flip thing in the ice. So I don't know. I mean, obviously he made it pretty far, so the deck might have some ground to stand on. I'm interested to see what thing in the ice will do moving forward. Yeah, me too. I think it has its place somewhere. Still needs to be ironed out, but it seems like an interesting route. I like Murderous Cut. Oh, yeah. All the Delve cards are starting to yeah, surface all, a little bit. Like, I think yeah. that Set Adrift card where you is basically, like, put a permanent on top of the library. Yeah, that's the card I was thinking about for this build, but then, you know, I thought about, you know, that's kind of what Thing in the Ice is already achieving. Yeah. Or sending cards back, rifting them. Yeah, Delve cards are no joke. I don't see many... Surgical extractions in any of the sideboards. I think that card. I thought it came back recently, but yeah, he's the only player with surgical extraction. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, and there's also no lands. You'd think with no extractions, lands would fit in somewhere. I don't know, man. Lands is. I think it's a card availability thing with lands right now. I don't know about that. I just don't think it's that good at the moment. I mean, with a lot of the Chalice decks floating around, like, you need to resolve your one-drop spells with lands. Yeah, that's true. And then if you get, if like, if you get a Chalice land is on you for two, like, you're, you know, unless you're playing main deck Decays, that's good game there, unless you naturally draw into your Dark Depths combo. So I don't know. I think lands is a very good deck, but it's too slow to beat Storm. 
there's a lot of chalice floating around. So I think that's why we're not seeing lands as much at the moment. But there's still some diehard lands players out there <clears throat> that are innovating I with the deck. Force field would be really good with lands. Yeah. But I don't know. I've played lands before. I enjoy it, but I also don't enjoy going to time. So that's why I put the deck on the shelf. I don't want to sit there, sit down every round and be the last one where people are watching. Well, you also have to just enjoy prison. Yeah. Like, like at the end of the the GP finals in Seattle, I mean, it's just like a flawless victory. And that was just like a total, that's how you play lands. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I can kill you, but I'm just going to sit here and destroy all your shit and good night. Yeah. I will say that the, the miracles matchup is kind of miserable with that deck. It's just too damn slow. Like I've, play tested with Brian a good bit with it and you have to import is a huge card. You have, have to kind of tap down all their white sources, destroy their white sources before you make merit lage and you have to port in their upkeep. And then after, at the end of their draw step, like that matchup alone is the reason I put the deck away for a little while, but I'll try uh Esper this week and see if that lights any fires. There's there's one more player with uh, two surgical extractions. There's but overall there's just not a lot of graveyard hate. Yeah. Uh, in general through all these lists. Yeah, the Eldrazi list is playing four Fairy Macabre, but I I do like Fairy Macabre over <clears throat> Leyline of the Void. Leyline of the Void you have to it forces you to mulligan. If you don't have it, that's your only graveyard hate. So you must go down to six and down to five and down to four, and then your chances of actually Seeing it in her opener are very low, and then your chances of actually casting it in that deck are also very low, unless you have Urborg, which is uh, usually a one-of. So I like Fairy Macabre as a graveyard hate card at the moment. Yeah, that's solid. Yeah, plus it just can it can just ram reanimator. You know, they, they know what you're playing, and if they don't see you with a Leyline out in game two, then they'll probably go for it and you just surprise them with a with a fairy macabre. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, see some deluges. Think deluges really underplayed. Uh, see a winter orb. Oh, I love winter orb. I was yeah. I played it in my uh, bug delver sideboard, but I never sighted it in because I just couldn't find a matchup where uh, that I played that night where I where I would benefit just you know more than my opponent would from that card. I guess it really shines in like a miracles against miracles or something. Yeah. But I got two two black border German winter orbs and it's it reads Frostbringer and I just can't wait to cast it sometime. Nice. Yeah, so I don't know, I think I think uh, Legacy's pretty wide open right now. You can play interesting decks and do pretty well. Things have been not getting worse since Dig Through Time was uh banned. Right, right. <clears throat> so we got some big tournaments in the States coming up on the horizon. First and foremost is GP Columbus. Isn't that right? GP yep. Columbus. Yep. And then eternal weekend is also in Columbus now. Correct. They're both of the largest legacy events are both in Columbus. <sighs> That's just a little bit weird to me. I don't know. I, I'll probably end up going to eternal weekend, but I don't think I'm going to go to GP Columbus. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure yet, but, um, Probably not going to go to the GP just because going to Columbus twice in one year. Columbus is a good place, and I might do both. I'm not sure yet, but I would definitely prefer if one or just, you know, the two events were in different cities. Like, it doesn't seem like they coordinate 
like these events very well. Like throw people in like cold areas at like the worst time of the year. You know, they didn't really put into consideration there's like football and you know like Halloween is so close, you know, with the eternal weekend date. Yeah. They just like if it's cold out, like throw us in Hawaii or something. You know? <laughs> like like throw us in like Puerto Rico or Miami. Yeah. You know, like if it's like gonna be real hot, then like put us somewhere that's like nice and breezy and new, you know, I like know. is do you think like, that their location is is based on uh driving like people that are driving to the event or is it just based on like the, the overall cost of the venue cost yeah that, I mean, that's that's what i would imagine i think it's just all cost and negotiating and you know i mean it's interesting because like they're i'm wondering if their thing is i don't know how much if it's going to get way bigger i'm wondering if because they're leaving the east coast like they have to like make up for some of those lost people that are just so conveniently right there in philly next to philly like you just have so many people in that east coast hub in that concentrated area they can just so easily make it you know or now everyone has to travel there so i think it's definitely going to be a bigger event I mean, if you're not going, you're missing out. You know, it's yeah, it's the best. Well, I've been I've been to Ohio several times, playing some shows there, and yeah, I'm not crazy about the state to be honest. But I, I'm gonna go to Columbus this year for Eternal Weekend and give it a shot. And I, I heard there's a market there as well, just like there is Reading Market in Philly. So I don't know. I used to not like Philly until I started going to Eternal Weekend, and that in itself made me like the city. Right Perhaps on. going to Eternal Weekend in Columbus this year might might win me over on Ohio. We'll see. It's partially irrelevant. I think just with Eternal Weekend in Philly, like part of the great allure of it was that like the hotel that was set up through Eternal Weekend was a pro rate for you know people going to the event that was like nice price and it was like 150 feet from the convention and like 30 feet from the market. Everyone is just so excited, et cetera. And I, I kind of like expect that same thing out of this one. I guess it's just the convenience of it. I think when the convenience is so great, the city plays less of a factor. But Philly was a great city, so it was just a win-win in that regard. But as long as this event is, you know, easy to get to for everyone traveling for the most part, I mean, it's fine. Like the event is great because everyone is so stoked to be, you know, Playing Eternal Magic with other people that enjoy Eternal Magic, and you, know, you have 9394, you have Vintage, you have Legacy. You know, everyone's like engulfed in it, and all the dealers are, you know, aimed at that. And people you probably haven't seen in a while, you know, are going to be there. And it's a sweet ass event. Yeah, and I, I guess they changed the structure of it as well, to where it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event now. So the old school event is going to be on a Thursday, which is going to require people to take off more days of work. Yes, so if you're interested in playing 93-94 at Eternal Weekend, uh, Eternal Central is throwing an event at, I believe it starts at 10.30 a.m. Um, I'll have to double-check, but it's on Thursday morning. So, And then you'll be looking at Legacy on Friday, Vintage on Saturday, and then Top 8 on Sunday for, right. for both champs. So do you think that, having it in Philly is just not feasible anymore or is the is the promoter looking to make more profits off of this function oh I don't think it's about profits I think you know the event itself is 
it's it's a Wizards of the Coast event, so they're kind of laying down a lot of a lot of the rule of this event, and I think that Card Titan is just kind of at the mercy. Um, Sean's probably the better one to speak on it all, but I I do know that Wizards is in more control than people realize. You know, um, the woman's name is Helene that runs a lot of the bigger events. I think that she probably, you know, had a lot to do with pulling the trigger on where this event was going to be held and, you know, her and her team negotiating price, you know, price points of what they're going to get out of what they're paying for and what's the best for Wizards. Um, I I just know that Eternal Weekend has grown every year since its existence, and I hope that continues to be the case. So we'll have to see how Columbus impacts that, but right. I, I would like to see a so larger turnout than the year before. So you're questioning because it's not in Philly. It's not reoccurring in Philly, so it might not get as many players. Yeah. I mean, because they're changing the formula. I, I think, I don't, you know, I don't know the, the statistics of, or of like the, I rather the demographics of the turnout from eternal weekend, but it seems to me like a large portion of the players are Northeastern players that probably drove to the event. So with it being in Columbus in the Midwest, a lot of people are less inclined to drive there, which could potentially impact the turnout. Now, I will say that Minneapolis is a really strong legacy scene, and I know that Wisconsin has a strong legacy scene and also has some vintage players. Um, and then I know that Columbus does as well. There's there's actually um, – the Midwest has more of a – more of a collection of eternal players than I think they're recognized for. Okay. Um, so I, I think you are going to see more of a more of a turnout from the Midwest than I think people are expecting. Um, you know, I used to live in Minneapolis, and they, when I go and visit, they are running, you know, multiple big events, and they're running like I think three to four weeklies right now, consistently for years now. And they, they're running like 100 to 120 man, you know, high buy-in events um, that are running like point systems, pretty much like ours. They might be a little more successful, actually. Um, but they have a collective of just a lot of players that come out of the woodworks that you don't see. Like, we probably have a little more of a consistency to ours where they just, you know, have – a ton of people that are just older that have legacy cards and play legacy, but can only come out once a month or whatnot that I think will definitely be attending a larger event like eternal weekend. Yeah. Um, So I don't know how it's going to change as far as attendance goes, but I wouldn't rule out the rest of the country, um, especially in the Midwest. I mean, it gets cold up there. There's just a big gaming kind of community in that area. Um, Yeah, I understand. I just, I don't know when I think of large, Magic popula- large eternal populations in the states. I just think Northwest and Northeast, as far as you know, the highest amount of players at tournaments. But perhaps I'm overlooking a lot of areas. I mean, I know that we live in the South and we have a pretty strong scene. Yeah. A lot of people don't recognize that. Yeah, I mean, there are some, I'm sure, but you know, there's just the East Coast has been, I think, like kind of the foundation for like vintage as long as anyone can remember for the most part, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it holds that title as it should, because it is, you know, um, but they, they have a lot of stuff going on in, uh, Minneapolis. Um, I know Chicago is strong scene. They play, you know, 93, 94 weekly and they run legacy events. And 
vintage yeah. and like the team serious guys are from the Midwest. Chicago is pretty much uh, dictating what goes on with old school in the States. Eternal Central, you know, has a different set of rules from the Europe rules, which I'm not saying one is, <clears throat> is right, but uh, whenever we get to play old school, we play by the Eternal Central rules. So uh, I do enjoy being able to play with collector's edition and international edition cards. Right, right. I mean, I guess the other, like, positive to Eternal Weekend being more centralized in the country is that it's easier. Like, it makes kind of no difference to us in the South to get there because it's kind of the same distance where you have, you know, people on the West Coast and the Midwest. It's a lot easier for them to get there. Um, yeah, it is like the East Coast is a, a more particular place, essentially. So, you know, a lot of the West Coast people are almost excluded from it. You know, there's just a lot more traveling. Well, I'll um, be there so and I'll we'll certainly see. give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, uh, I'll be there. I'll actually be flying in Wednesday. Yeah, you're, you're staying with me and Morgan, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll, have, I'll probably fly in Wednesday night after work. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm flying in Wednesday night and uh, get some good sleep and play 93-94 in the morning. So let's um, talk about that for a second. What do you yeah. think about the current state of 93-94? Uh, I think it's great. Um, I think it would be nice. You know, one like the deck is extremely powerful. Um, yeah, like factory, I think is real questionable if uh, it should be four available at this point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wish there was a weapon like Jester's Cap or something, you know, to fight the deck a little better. Um, yeah, it's just what I mean. The deck is essentially just a collection of all the best cards, right? Essentially, I mean, it, it's it's a very high powered control deck. Um, yeah. It's like almost you could almost consider miracles like emulating the deck in a sense. Human um, yeah. wrote a really well. I've only read through like the first page, but. He usually writes really high quality work, but he did kind of uh, he did a writing on the deck itself and kind of its history over the years um, and how it's changed. It's it's a really powerful deck, and like I can pretty much just be sure of that it's going to be probably in the finals. You know? Yeah, yeah. And you know, if you want to win that tournament, you just have to be prepared to be playing against the deck. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not so. I'm not sweating winning the tournament. I obviously just go to. Go to that tournament <laughs> yeah. to have fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, fair enough. I'll probably but, either play some either like mono white deck or some red green deck or something. But yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, that that's the beauty of the whole event is you know you're just playing for defaced cards. And I mean, as far as like you know, if we're talking about the actual you know the help of the format. You know, I would say that you know factories are very strong. Um, I've, I've seen Suchi. Uh, seeing a lot of play lately. Yeah, Suchi is sweet. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I know you don't. You're not really a fan of, uh, you know, finance when it comes to Magic: The Gathering, but yeah. old school cards continue to rise, and it's basically becoming very frustrating. And I can't see the format growing too much more. Which you know, I don't really see to be. I don't really see the players of the format uh, having that as a main goal. You know, growing this format too much, but. The the prices of the cards are like pretty much out of my reach at this point. Like what I have is what I have, and I can't really afford to buy into anything else. Well, I mean, I think the argument is that 
going back to like, okay, it doesn't matter if you win, then what does it matter if you have a revised deck? You know, it's, you know. Well, I don't care about that, but there's just certain cards that I would be interested in playing that right. have gone from $5 to $50. I agree with that. You know, and, I mean, I, I do like see the other half or cup being half full where, you know, we're not playing by Swedish rules and we can use like international edition and collector's edition. And you can go ahead and get like a collector's edition mocks for like whatever, 70, 80 bucks, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, I think they've like, gone up recently. Okay. So maybe they're at like a hundred bucks. Yeah. So. I don't know. I just don't. I don't really want to invest but, in yeah, uh, you know those kind of cards. I can play once a year, just for the sake of them looking cool. You know, I don't know. I mean, I wish we played more than once a year. I mean, I'm playing more than once a year because I'm playing games, you know, outside of small tournaments. But like, yeah, we could easily be having small tournaments, you know, locally. But I don't know how like some people aren't that interested. I guess and. Uh, perhaps I'll throw together a deck soon. Yeah, I mean, well, I know that there's like, I know we could easily throw like a 15 to 20 man tournament. You know, it's just a matter of if we get it set up and thrown. It's like I can make a good 93, 94 deck that's competitive for 200 dollars right now. Yeah, and that's a fact. Like this is not vintage. You know, you're not like like moxes are not that great. They're good. They're strong cards. They're a terrible top deck, you know? Yeah. You can have a lot of fun and still win games with a jank deck, you know? But I don't know. It's just kind of what you want to make out of it. Some people want to, like, just have the coolest-looking deck, and some people, like, there were people at Eternal Weekend in the 1994 tournament that had pure revised deck, you know, like, White Weenie, all revised. The deck could not have cost more than $55. Yeah. And... The dude was having a blast, you know, and he won some games. Sure. You know, what's the relevancy to all of it, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of based on your own opinions, really, you know? You really do make what the format is. It can't be sanctioned. Like, the rules are all over the place. I mean, as far as, like, there's, like, Channel Fireballs throwing a 93-94 tournament at their GP as a side event. And they have a whole other set of rules outside of Eternal Central and Sweden. Just do what you want to do. They're not letting collector's edition or international edition. I think they were on the cusp of letting in art from any set as long as it matches the original art. Yeah, so I think I think they're like maybe stopping at revised. I'm not sure. Right. But anywho, it's a lot of it's the format's a lot of fun. But we'll see what how many people come. It was 50 last year. I'm expecting 75 towards 100. I'm probably leaning towards 75 this year. Um, if it was in Philly, I would say it'd be at 100 to 110. Yeah, I think just because it's on a Thursday this time, um, and it's not in Philly, I think probably get more in like the 70 range. It'll be a lot of fun. Recommend it to every single person. I agree. Um, kind of backtracking a little bit here. <clears throat> we mentioned bizarre mocks and results, but we didn't touch on vintage at all, which is still a main uh, attraction of that tournament. Did you want to briefly run through the top eight and discuss any changes that you've seen? Uh, I don't want to go too deep. I think, like, Sean's more of the expertise, and we'll have him kind of go deeper on the whole subject, I think. Yeah. Catch him on the next cast. Well, But 
I'm, I'm pulling it up right now, but I mean, the, the, I think the main thing that can be noted, you know, that we're seeing right now with VSL and the Zarv Moxon is that the hate is real, you know, like, hey, bears exist right now. Yep. Um, it's not, not saying it's the greatest strategy. A lot of people, I'm sure, are laughing, et cetera, but white trash went 2-0 on VSL and we just had a five color hate bear deck take down bizarre box and vintage. Yeah. So those are, those are real results. Um, so be interesting what we see next, you know, with vintage, there's a lot of mentor as expected, a lot of gush. Yeah. You know, I will okay. let Sean speak on that, but yeah. you definitely have a old switcheroo with uh mentor and lodestone. Yeah, that's fair enough. We'll uh, have to touch on this on the next cast. So I'd like to take this moment to thank our commercial sponsor, Combos Baked Snacks. Uh, Combos. I recommend trying the pizzeria and pretzel flavor made with real cheese. So next we're going to be moving into discussion about Eternal Masters. So what's the release date on that? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, I think it's June 10th, I believe. Um, I, I know that it's the same day as the G, is the GP, yeah, the Legacy GP. Okay, so those cards will be out for people to use at that GP. Yeah, you'll like the day of um, Eternal Masters is the day like the GP set off. I got the date right here. Or does it? Or does it wait a week? Yeah, it's, it's June 10th, and it gets released on Magic Online the 17th. They haven't started to announce spoilers yet. Do you have any speculation on cards outside of Force of Will and Wasteland? I have a feeling Sylvan Library will be in the set. I could see that. Um, Fluster Storm, possibly. I, Fluster Storm, I feel like, is a very good chance. Uh, Days, uh, because the thing is that I'm putting into consideration is MTGO, and like Days is like $70 on MTGO. Oh, wow. So I think that they're going to put days in, and I guess that might lead to other possibilities of cards and how they structure the set for drafting or whatnot. But anywho, the other I'm hoping personally for recruiter. That's like pretty much the only card I really want out of the yeah. set more than anything. It would be cool to see Wasteland's price go down because I want to own eight. Same, I do as well. And then. Imperial Seal might have a chance. Because, like, the thing is, you got to think about the other formats. Like, it's like a lot of people, I think, are thinking about it as just being kind of legacy-based. I think that they're going to be, like, doing some cube stuff also and, like, vintage. and You know, at least, like, one solid card for each format. So I guess we'll just have to see, like, what goes on with that. I think Port, uh, I think Natural Order might come back. Yeah. Um, I think Demonic Tutor. Demonic Tutor, that's not reserve list. No. Okay. I don't know. I'm not going to play with the cards myself, being that I like to have the original printing of everything, but I see it as nothing but positive for the Eternal Magic community. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are ripping on it, and that's fine. You know, like, a lot of people think it's going to be bad. I think it's going to be great, honestly. I'm not trying to be, like, some super positive person about the event but like i think it's i think it's going to be solid like it's really hard to mess it up because there's a lot of really great cards they can utilize for this set you know just to like make it fun like just dark ritual is a fun card doesn't have to doesn't have to be like all crazy cards that are super expensive to make it worthwhile 
play it or I mean to buy packs to try to get a legacy deck, I wouldn't do that, you know. But like yeah. play some sealed games with a friend for ante, you know, <laughs> that's what I'd probably do. Like, yeah. That sounds like the most fun. But I mean they're starting off with Wasteland, Force of Will, so that's a good start. It's just kinda like, do you think it's gonna be shit or do you think it's gonna be good? Is I think we're Everyone's just kind of standing right now and waiting to see what the answer is going to be. But I think it's going to be solid. Like sneak attack is a possibility or show and tell, one of those two. Yeah, we'll see. That. I'm curious if they're going to do like kind of like a tribal theme to it at all, which would bring like Vile. I think like Liliana is a possibility. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of options, so we'll see. I'll definitely use like some store credit for packs, and I'll probably buy some buy like a box or something and crack it open with some friends and play sealed some night. I would love that. Yeah. I mean, that'd be fun. You know, like, I don't know. I, I think it's good for the prices outside of just the enjoyment of it too. Like, I think it's going to bring a good amount of prices down, which is fine with me. Cause there are a lot of cards that I need more of, or like, like to have two sets of a card or, you know, so do you think, that uh, any reserve list cards are still going to spike before the set comes out? I don't really think so. I think that was all just kind of like hype. I think a lot of people who just started just like buying dual lands and stuff or reserve list cards or more like, you know, people that try to manipulate the market. Yeah. Um, You know, and maybe like dealers and stuff. But I don't think everyone was like, I got to buy my legacy deck right now. I just don't really see that. Um, so I think it was more like some dealers bought like, you know, tens of them at a time. Uh, and it only takes so many of them to do that to kind of like infiltrate on the market. Um, they've already kind of like restabilized. I mean, like I sold like one of my extra revised values, like 110 just cause a bunch of them. And I think they were like 150 or something and like, people are gold mining for it, you know, and, and spiking it out. But I think they've all kind of stabilized at this point. If you want to play Legacy, you can get there, you know, take some yeah. time. But, I mean, Eternal Masters is not going to hurt, and I only see it as a positive. I know there's a lot of kids that are, like, pretty excited about it, you know, that, like, are new to Legacy. Having some hopes for the set, you know, like, it's encouraging them to get cards and, like, finish Legacy decks, like, whether or not it actually does a whole bunch of good or not towards them getting the cards they need, it's inspiring at least to a lot of players. So, yeah, I, that. that's the impact I'm hoping the set will have on the format. Yeah, just like it brings hype, you know, which is like probably the best of all, you know, just get people excited to play the format, you know, and get the cards and, then, you know, pretty much mission accomplished at that point. Yeah. But we'll see. I know uh, today the uh, Morrow had mentioned that there is a definite possibility of breaking the reserve list in the future. Yeah, but then wasn't the post deleted pretty quickly short after? Yeah, I don't know what to think of it, you know, but um, it's nothing to really get too deep on. But I guess I just found it interesting because I've kind of paid attention to his blog. of things that he's just kind of mentioned as far as Eternal goes and... A lot of what he has to say on the reserve list is that he really doesn't like it, and he really thinks it harms the game, and it's kind of a disastrous thing for Magic in general. Um, and then it kind of follows through with him being very stern with people, where he doesn't want to talk about it, and there's nothing that can be done, and that's the way it is. Tough luck. 
then even going into like talking about the spirit of the list where you can't even touch the spirit of this list. Nonetheless, the rules that they've put down as well. And then all of a sudden, fast forward, multiple more comments like that. And then you just kind of have this snap of the fingers answer where it's definitely a possibility in the future. It's interesting. I don't know if it was like planned or whatnot, but it's just the reserve list doesn't load on the Wizards of the Coast website for a couple months now. Yeah. But I, I'm not like putting out the tinfoil hat at all. You know, it's not, I, I'd probably lean towards definitely that the reserve list is not being broken anytime soon, but yeah, there is, I would lean more towards uh, coincidence on a lot of those being, I mean, considering the, you know, the developer staff they have for MTG online, I highly doubt that there's some conspiracy involving their website being up or being down at certain times. Correct. Yeah. I I guess it just more showcases their lack of capabilities of running a strong product, which they show through MTGO. Right. But whatever. I know where we both stand on it. Abolish the whole list, but doubt that will happen. I mean, we could have a whole cast dedicated to this topic, but, you know, we're just going to get nowhere with it. Right. Yeah. I guess the other interesting thing is is that we also have Conspiracy 2 coming out from the Vault and Commander product also this year. Yeah, very so cool. A ton ton of stuff coming out um, for Eternal formats. So you're going to see reprints from Eternal Masters. You're going to see reprints from the Vault. And we will have brand new playable cards only for Eternal formats from Conspiracy 2 and also Commander. So two sets with brand new cards, Eternal Magic specific. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. So it seems like it's a good year for Eternal Magic. Like when we were going to cast, it was kind of like, man, there's not that much to talk about right now. Like it's, things are going pretty smooth and, you know, we have the Eldrazi, but it seems like it's a pretty good year. It's not too much disruption. Things are going pretty smooth and there's a lot more cards coming out. Should be able to review some cool cards coming up. Yeah, I like that card, Invasive Surgery. Yeah, yeah, sweet. I think that card's going to start to see a lot of play. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, there's a lot of people talking about that when that one came out. Definitely solid. Yeah. So what's up with the uh, what's up with the local teams around the Metro Atlanta area? I mean, obviously, I know that Team Tusk is still on top, but are we seeing a rise in other crews? Uh, well, we see we have uh, the Taxman. Taxmen who have uh, recruited uh, James Ames. He's a good player. Uh, yep, and uh, they have also, uh, I believe, Iman from Cairo has been coming in and out. I believe he's lurking in the shadows right now, developing new strategies. We have Taxman Rosenblade, who is going to be relocating to New York. Taxman Greg Kreger, who is fighting a good fight for vintage right now. So it sounds to me like Taxman have... They have members across the country. Like, they're almost coast to coast if we get a West Coaster. Correct. Uh, Greg is out at the D-Town of Detroit. And then we have Rosenblade, who will be on the East Coast, taking care of that division. And then we have Taxman Jansen, essentially going to be strongholding, I think, most of the Atlanta chapters. Rosenblade takes off. I think it will probably be uh, an inner discussion between Jansen and Humphreys over the leadership of the Taxman. Yeah. Taxman did place pretty well at this previous Gigabytes uh, GPT. We had 
Tusk, uh, BJ, and you were in top eight, right? I was not. Okay, you were not. Plattenberg. I mean, I kind of was, being that I just gave BJ the deck card for card that he was playing, and he played into the top eight. I swear there was like three Tusks that made it. Mm, was Brian in it? I don't. I honestly don't remember. Oh, seems good. Yeah, seems good was in the top eight. Seems good was in the top eight. Flattenberg is in the top eight. Alpha Strike, and then Beach. So yeah, three. And then we had Taxman Jansen, Taxman Humphreys. So we had uh, three versus two. Yeah. So we won. <laughs> and then are are there any other teams that should that we should be worried about? I mean, I know that there's a constant battle with the uh, the food court. North Lake Food Court meta, but are they a force to be reckoned with? Team Food Court has been, you know, the Shatter Gang Brothers and Team Food Court has been kind of hiding out uh, at uh, Food Court itself and then also Titan Games. And I think they're just trying to kind of kind of take over that, that area. So I know you infiltrated with Eldrazi recently. You yes. went 4-0, correct? Yes. Excellent. Um, so... Essentially, I think we'll be sending Tusk out to that area, start going, you know, hopefully 3-1, 4-0, and reestablish our dominance in that meta as yep. Food Court tries to take over. For those listening, there's a shop called Titan Games that started to host Tuesday Night Legacy. Um, that's aside from our shop Gigabytes Cafe in Marietta that hosts Thursday Night Legacy. Then that, that generally will draw somewhere between 20 and 30 people. Uh, the Tuesday night crowd, however, is around 8 to 12, and the food court has asserted their dominance at this facility, and it's been too long at this point, and I've started to show up and disrupt the flow a little bit. Actually, the last time I played at Titan, I was with Sean, Shattergang brother JP came in, and I believe he had some food from the food court. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... Uh, that was interesting, but we also have, uh, Cat Warriors, which we haven't really talked about at all, which has considered getting uniforms itself as well as taxmen. So that is something to be worried about because there are, they're looking at four members of the Cat Warriors. Yeah. I just don't see the Cat Warriors being much of a threat considering they just lost a crucial, crucial member of the team, the lock. Gavin Dively. Gavin, we miss you. Yes. Uh, Gavin the Lock is an excellent Maverick player locally. Um, he enjoys putting people in the lock. He recently left us for Pennsylvania. He is uh, working a job out there and continuously keeping in contact with the Atlanta Magic community. And uh, he is also an ally of the Cat Warriors. But the Lock is mainly part of Team Hate Bears which is uh, he does have a uniform for. Yeah. Um, and Team Hate Bears is just exclusively Gavin, also known as The Lock. But he was, I would say, more of an ally of the Tusk. Okay. Um, but possibly a friend to no one, just like a, a rogue warrior, you know, a maverick, if you will. Sure, sure. Otherwise, we have the dads. Do you want to speak on the dads for a moment? Uh, so who's a member of the dads? We have, is Mike on the leader of the dads? Um, I believe it's up for discussion at the moment. Um, I would say that Mike on is, there was a time when I felt that Dwayne, um, dark ritual Dwayne was possibly the leader, but, uh, 
I think that Mike is now taking over the, the reins. We do have uh, Sneak and Show Dad, uh, Punk Rock Box Dad, uh, Smiling Merfolk Dad, um, and then we have uh, Father of the Son of uh, Mud. Yeah. I feel like the dads are a little bit more resistant to their organization. So essentially, all is well amongst the teams, aside from the intense rivalry between Team Tusk and Team Food Court. Yes. Um, and there will be a GPT uh, at the Food Court. Inside the Lion's Den. Inside the Lion's Den. Um, Team Tusk will be there in full uniforms as Team Food Court will as well. And um, we will see how the top eight works out. I actually ate Chinese food in a food court today. Excellent. Yeah, just to try and get acclimated to the tournament coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah, I think that's probably the best move right now. Um, I think probably most of our practicing will take place in the food court um, over different delicious delights. Um, I'm not 100% sure on what I'm eating, but I do know what I'm playing. Yeah. Well, I guess that <coughs> that pretty much wrap, wraps things up, unless you had something else you wanted to, to talk about tonight. No, I think that'll do it. Legacy's in a good place right now. I think uh, I think it's a good time to kind of take your best decks and, and play with them and innovate. And uh, I think fair decks are fair game. Yeah. Uh, one last thing. I wanted to give a quick shout-out to someone. Uh, I noticed today via the Facebook that our friend Zach from Alabama got – Engaged, so I just wanted to give him a quick shout out and say congrats to Zach Cook from Alabama, the Infect player. Congrats on getting engaged, my friend. Congrats, that's great, Zach. Cool. Well, you want to go ahead and call it a night? Call it a night. Okay, sounds good. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.